0: Sports fans, do not miss our latest article by Brian Toporek on the CBA, packed with even more information on the new agreement between the players and the owners. What are the changes in the new CBA? How will this change the landscape for the middle class? Just how much will stars be able to make going forward? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. Today, I am pleased to bring in an old friend of the show, Larry Kuhn, who is a salary cap expert. He writes for ESPN, Basketball Insiders. He has a fantastic thing called Sports Business Classroom, where you can learn all about the CBA and how the business works in the NBA. And, uh, and also, he's going to talk to us a lot about the CBA and the New Deal. So, Larry, good morning. Thanks for coming on the show today.
1: Hey, no worries. Hey, there's something I was always wondering, Coach Nick. Okay. What sport do you coach?
0: I uh, <laughs> currently I am a coach without a team, but I did coach basketball. Believe it or not. Oh,
1: that would make sense. No, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. How you? Do? I'm doing great. How are you?
0: I am good. I'm good. Thank you. But thank you for making the t- typical uh, awkward. Hey, how's it going? Intro a little bit more interesting today. You
1: know, I'm here to make it a fun time for your audience.
0: Yes, and it's always great to see you in person. I was actually kind of thinking about when we, when we met, I guess it was maybe through Eric Pincus, uh, like, you know, probably five years ago. Could have been. And, uh, and, we were, and we've been doing shows ever since. So uh, I'm glad to have you here. Lots of things to talk about, I guess. I guess first off, because most people will probably just sort of see the letters CBA and, um, and, and either shrug or sort of turn off because it's confusing and, and, and you know maybe purposely so. But uh, can you give us a brief overlook? Are there any significant differences in this new CBA agreement than there was in the last one?
1: Not huge differences. This CBA was more aimed at figuring out with so much more revenue coming into the league this year because of the new national TV deal and, and other reasons, how do we better split that pie? The, the big thing to keep in mind here is that for the players, it's a zero-sum game. The players are going to get about 51% of the revenues and from there, all the rules, all of them are just about how do you split those the, that money among all the players in a way that makes sense for everybody. And everything else is geared around that. So one of the first things that they came to an agreement on early. Remember back in 2011, there was a big lockout. We lost a lot of games in the season, and it was all over the split. That whole split of revenue, the players were getting 57% before. They took a haircut down to about 50-51% in order to kind of fix fix the finances of the league. And the league has been booming ever since. Well, now that we are uh, fixed, as it were. Everybody thought that the current negotiations were going to be over, the players maybe wanting to be made whole again from what happened in 2011. As it turns out, the the massive amounts of money coming in trumped that. Nobody wants to kill the goose that lays the golden eggs. So they pretty quickly came to terms on the same revenue split, which meant that we would have an agreement, we would have peace in our time, and – they can start to pay attention to some of these system issues that we had had um, and making those a little bit better. Some of the things that kind of went wrong in the 2011 agreement, remember this was right after Carmelo Anthony forced his way to the New York Knicks. So they tightened up the extension rules, I think a little bit too far in 2011. They fixed that a little bit this year. But the main thing, like I said, was trying to get that that split of of money among the players fixed. So think of it like a pyramid. You have the lower salary guys at the bottom of the pyramid and they, there's a lot of them. There's more lower salary guys than anything else. You guys, you have the other guys in the middle, and then up at the peak of the pyramid you have the superstars, the guys who are making most of the money, but there's only a few of them. The new CBA did a lot to help the guys in the lower end of the pyramid. Draymond Green's tweets notwithstanding, they, Um, They bumped all these lower-end salaries up by about 45% across the board. They added more jobs. They're creating what's called two-way contracts, which allow additional players who are floating between the D-League and the NBA to, to have jobs in the NBA. And they also, of course, they gave more money to the guys at the top of the pyramid. They created what's called this designated veteran status where... If you're a true superstar, you're at the right point in the league. You've been with your team the whole time. The team's going to have the ability to keep you. They also upped that over 36 rule that kept older guys from getting longer deals to an over 38 rules, which let guys like LeBron James and Chris Paul get everything that they can get. The thing that's going to happen, though, is that the guys in the middle are going to get squeezed out because, like I said, it's a zero-sum game. If you give more at the bottom, more at the top, it's got to come from somewhere. So... The interesting thing that happened in 2016 was that it was a huge cap spike, everybody had cap room and play, teams were handing out huge deals like candy, you know, we're in LA, you look at the Lakers and they gave big deals to Lou Deng and to Timofey Mozgov. And league-wide the kind of the starting salary sort of settled in at around $15 million. Well, as we start to squeeze in the middle tier of that pyramid, and also by raising these salaries, there's going to be less and less cap room. So teams aren't going to have significant amounts of cap room anymore either. What we're going to see as an effect is that uh, the middle tier of players, those starting players, those salaries are going to come down, and those contracts that were signed in 2016 are going to become increasingly onerous. So when you look at a Luol Deng at 16 $17, 18000000 million dollars over four years, that's going to become a problem over time.
0: Okay, well, you know, let's get a little specific here so we can wrap our minds around some of these, these concepts. So, okay, the upper echelon players that uh, you're talking about, like LeBron and um, I, I guess we have to talk about Steph and uh, KD and those kind of guys, you know, typically before that they were making, you know, they, like they maxed out at what, like 23 or 24 million a year or something like that? Sure. And
1: just by virtue alone of how much the salary cap is going up, the maximum salary for these guys is going to be about $36 million this summer. And that's just the 35% of the huge cap because the cap is going to be a little bit over $100 million. The designated veteran. Provision added a thing where a guy after seven or eight years in the league who has been with the team the whole time He could be traded during his rookie contract, but that's it. He's got to be with this team the whole time So Kevin Durant does not qualify but those guys after seven or eight years in the league, are going to be able to get that full 35% max, get that full 36 million. It is similar to the concept that we've had since the 2011 CBA, where teams can designate certain guys coming off of those rookie scale salary contracts and say, you get a 30% max salary instead of a 25% max salary, and you can get a 5% extension rather than a 4% extension. Same concept applied to the upper, upper echelon guys.
0: Okay, so that's interesting. Now, now LeBron, I guess, wouldn't qualify for that because he left his team. You got it. Okay, interesting. Now, but, you, yeah, but
1: but but he's already way up in that high salary here, right? He's already making a salary that's up in that range. The guy that's going to help is Steph Curry, who's coming from a much lower salary and will have nine years in the league.
0: Okay, well, let's talk about that for one second. But um, what is what is the cap going to look like now for teams going forward? Like how much? Um,
1: we're, yeah, we're looking at about $103 million this year. So it's it's really jumped a lot last year. It's making a big but not as substantial a jump this year, and then it's going to start to stabilize. So we're going to see around $103 million moving forward. Um, they, there could be some small tweaks to the formula, not that I've seen so far, but I haven't read the entire agreement yet. There could be some small tweaks that sort of smooth things out. It used there used to be kind of a yo-yo effect in the agreement, where if too much money went in at once or too little money went in at once, then they adjusted for that the next year and things bounced around a little bit. And they were originally projecting the cap to go down not in 2017-18 but in 2018-19. And they could have eliminated that, I don't know if they have or not. The other thing that they were talking about that I haven't seen yet, but I haven't ruled it out yet, is a cap smoothing provision, something that would keep the cap from rising too quickly and create another situation like 2016 where one specific free agent market gets flooded.
0: Right. And it seems like the players were against smoothing, they wanted all their money right away.
1: Yeah, but I don't know how well informed they were about it. I've heard various things by various people. That kind of came down to the players weren't behind the, the the situation just because of trust issues or because of understanding how it worked, and it is kind of complex. But in the in the the end of it. You take all that money, and rather than give all that money, all that extra money flooding the market in one year, to a single free agent class, to the Lou Dings and Timothy Moskovs of the world, instead you're giving it to every single player in the league because smoothing forces a situation that makes the league pay the all the players money. And what player, except for a few free agents in 2016, wouldn't have voted for that?
0: Well, what I would have voted for is a company called Blue Apron, and if you haven't heard about them, this is a service that delivers fresh, high-quality ingredients right to your door with easy-to-follow directions so you can cook fantastic meals in your own kitchen. For less than 10 bucks a person, you're going to impress your wife, husband, significant other, kids, mailman, or anyone else you like to cook for by presenting to them a gorgeous plate filled with creative and savory meals. It doesn't take very long to make them at all. The portions are great. And I can tell you the crispy chicken with mashed potato and spicy collard greens was awesome. And my daughter and I had a great time making shrimp and shiitake dumplings from scratch. You can customize your menus to whatever types of food you like or let Blue Apron surprise you. It would be a perfect gift for the upcoming holiday season. And you get your first three meals free by heading over to blueapron.com slash coach Nick. I mean, this is like hitting a three at the buzzer for the win. So feel what it's like to be carried off the court by your teammates by going to blueapron.com slash coach Nick and signing up now. You in? It sounds like informing the players in all these deals throughout the the time of the NBA has been a a troubling experience where they just seem to, they can't quite get all the information they're getting told stuff. It sounds a little bit like politics.
1: A little bit. And you know, what was the saying about, a democracy you know you need an informed set of voters in order for it to work correctly and it's certainly the case here and you know the the information here is complicated it's it's a complicated set of of revisions to what was a complicated set of rules to begin with and i don't blame the players for not understanding it and they're getting information now that's you know a 42 page document that Describes all the changes that they're making and that's not going to mean anything to them. These guys are their their focus is on basketball Not on legalese, so I don't blame them whatsoever for not really being able to Globalize what all these changes mean in terms of Being good or bad for all the players in the league you have to count on Agents to a larger extent you have to count on the union leadership to a much larger extent than that and when you look at Michelle Roberts, she certainly helped. shes I, I like her a lot more than Billy Hunter, to be sure. And she's certainly helping to build this trust relationship with the league and the spirit of cooperation moving forward. But she was new to the job, and it kind of took a while to get her head around a lot of the, the nuances to the way things work. And I don't know if that happened fast
0: enough. Fair enough. Now, uh, in your opinion... Do you feel like with Michelle Robertson, uh, as opposed to Billy Hunter, the playing field is a little bit more fair than it might have been in the past?
1: I think so. I think that when you're dealing with a baseline of distrust, which is what existed before and this just wasn't just with michelle and the union but this was also with david and the owners where there were factions of owners back in 2011 who were saying you know we don't need to agree to even this well 48 hard cap and if the players don't like it they can go play in europe Uh, you know that didn't happen this time so between adam and michelle you really have did have the spirit of of cooperation and trust that built over time and now they're capable of going in and saying hey let's do this to our mutual benefit and coming to an agreement fairly quickly on that one of the things that I had heard fairly on was that all this stuff about the players narrative about wanting to be made whole for that 57% that they used to have that wasn't gonna matter because uh, the a smaller share of a much bigger pie is going to trump that. They're going to be making a lot more money at 50% of the much bigger pie than they were making at 57% of a smaller pie where things were tenuous around the whole league. And the players are going to recognize that, and that's what's going to drive the discussions. And I thought, okay, but there's a lot of bad blood built up that drove that narrative, so I didn't see it really going away that easily, but as it turns out, that's exactly what happened, and that, I think, came right from the top, developing that common ground between Adam and between Michelle, where they're able to say, look, we're in a good place, and let's let's fix it, but there's no reason to be at odds with each other, there's no reason to fight over little amounts of, you know, little in the percentage, you know, Realm um, amounts of money. There's no reason to kill this goose that does lay the golden eggs here.
0: Yeah, and I imagine that every year that went by, there's less and less players that even remember that they got 57. percent And at some point, it just becomes like uh, you know the Social Security age where they're going to be able to raise it because people are, don't remember what it was like when it was uh, when it was at that age, at that rate. So. Uh, I, I, my other question I wanted to ask you is about that this middle ground, the uh, the middle salaries. The three and D guys in the past, you know, would have been you know probably making like ten million bucks a year somewhere in that area I'd imagine, right. Um, and so when you said they're gonna get squeezed out, like what what is that gonna look like? And can you give us an example of a player you know who might be the, the top of that list who and what he'd get now? Yeah, think of a team's
1: cap room, right? You have all the salaries for all the players on the team. Adding up to X, and then you have the cap that's some amount, hopefully above X, and that difference is the amount of cap room you have. So you have 70 million dollars in contracts. You have 100. No, let's say just say 100 million dollar cap. You have 30 million in cap room, but you have cap holds eating up some of that. And think about the things that are getting bigger in the new agreement. The designated player is going to mean The superstar is going to get much more money. The higher minimums and rookie scale salaries and all that are going to mean that the bottom end of the scale is going to get bigger as well. And then – um, the those cap holds for your own free agents in certain cases are going to get bigger, so that's going to squeeze out all the cap room. So it's just squeezing all the money out of the sponge, and what's left over is what those guys in the middle are going to be able to sign for. So instead of the team having 20 million over the cap, they might have you know 10, 8, 7, 6 million over the cap, and figuring out how to add guys with that amount of money. Now there's still that mid level exception which is going up to around 8 million or so. The you know there's three mid levels, they're all going up. The biannuels go Going up so, between the cap room and those mid levels going up, you're looking at like eight million dollar contracts, nine, ten million maybe for some of these mid tier guys. Um, you know, three and D guys are becoming more and more valuable in the current agreement. So I don't even know that you'd be able to say that they're middle class anymore. But you know, certainly for for a starter. Um, where it was looking like a, a starter was worth about $15 million in 2016. I think that that's going to drop to below $10 million.
0: Wow. Now, let me look at the, in the context of, like, multiple stars on your team because uh, let's just say, you know, Ke- Kevin Durant and Steph Curry are a great example that were the Warriors, where I believe they're both going to be free agents after this year, I think. Um, and is it, is it fair to expect that they each are supposed to get 35% of the cap? <laughs>
1: Because of bird rights, if you're a 10-year veteran, you're going to be able to get the 35% of the cap anyways. But the important thing with the Warriors is that Steph Curry is in the perfect situation where he's been with the team his whole career. They have the full bird rights with him, and he will be one of those designated veteran players where he can jump right up to that 35% max. So him for sure. And then Draymond Green when he's ready and, uh, and all that. But... When you look at at Kevin Durant, he's only been with the team one year. He hasn't built up those bird rights. In addition, he wouldn't qualify for that designated veteran anyways so you're going to see him you know he's still making a lot of money a little bit below the max but still a lot of money you could see him go a couple of different ways you can see him sign successive one year deals and then just sign a longer full bird right contract you could see him going starting at 120% of where he is now which is what the one year version of bird rights allows them to do and going up from there or you can see him shopping around again I would say that knowing him a little bit and kind of knowing where he's going I would think that he's found a home where he is and he's probably going to stay so you're probably looking at him doing what LeBron James did when he went back to Cleveland let's sign some short term deals until we're able to go long term and get everything and then lock in long term
0: well, let's just explain really quickly the bird rights in case people don't know. And as as far as I understand it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, if you're with a team for a certain amount of years, then they can sign you for a long-term contract, and it might go over the salary cap, but they're allowed to do that to that specific player.
1: Yeah, the general rule of the salary cap is pretty simple. If you're over the salary cap, you can't spend any money. the The addition to that sentence is, unless you're using an exception. So that creates all these exceptions that we keep talking about. One of those exceptions is the bird exception. And the bird exception is the exception that's aimed at letting players keep their own guys. You don't want a situation like football where it's, well, we're capped out. We can't keep you. Sorry. Good luck. You want to have the ability to retain your own talent to keep the fans happy, et cetera, et cetera. So the bird rights let you keep your own guys. Now, because teams are always gonna find ways to, to get around the rules, which happened well, also long ago. It's like Phoenix with Danny Manning many years ago where they signed a guy to a one-year contract and it's like, okay, he's our guy, full bird rights they changed it to ramp up over three years so teams got to have a player for three years before they get the full bird rights and the full bird rights mean they can ignore the cap completely sign the player for any amount up to the full max then there's a one year and two year version of the bird rights the two year version says you can give a 75% bump or the league average whichever is higher and then the one year version of bird rights say you can give the guy a 20% bump so if you look at Kevin Durant in 2017 he'll be a one year bird player which means that the Warriors can give him a 20% bump over where he is now in signing him for uh, it's a shorter deal the one-year version doesn't let you give as many years but if you do it like like LeBron James did you sign a two-year deal a one-year option the second year is really just insurance in case you get hurt play that one year opt out and then sign a longer deal he will be at two years then you sign another one of those one plus one deals and then the following year after three years the sky's the limit
0: wow now, let me ask you this, So, and by the way, there is no limit to the amount of bird right players you can sign in a given year. As long
1: as you have bird rights to a guy, you can give them a big contract. In fact, not in the current CBA, but earlier, when a player left the league, when he retired, teams retained their bird rights to their guys. So you had a situation with um, Aaron McKee, with Keith Van Horn, where player, teams were plucking guys out of retirements at retirement, signing them with bird rights in order to make the salaries match for a trade. So, uh, yeah, they eliminated that in the 2011 agreement. made made it much harder to do something like that. But, you know, that's the thing. Bird rights are are assigned to and stay with the player.
0: Okay, so now we're looking at the Warriors is a good example because they're going to have to pay these guys. Certainly, Steph is going to get the max. KD is going to have to get paid. Uh, Draymond, all these guys. Now, they're going to go over the cap, which they're allowed to do with the bird rights, but the question is, does the penalty has it penalty changed at all uh, for going over that cap by you know however much amount? Is that structure changed in the new agreement?
1: The structure has only changed a minimal amount. So you're right. The tax, the luxury tax, used to be a dollar for dollar above you know for every dollar that you were above what they call the tax threshold, which was an amount you know let's say like 10 percent above the salary cap. If you you could be over the cap and you could continue to sign guys with bird rights or guys could keep getting raises but once you got above that luxury tax threshold then you started having to pay a dollar for dollar tax they decided in 2011 we need to make this tax a little bit more onerous because teams were just seeing it as the cost of doing business so they did two things with it in 2011. number one they made it progressive so the first five million it's a buck fifty Per dollar so it starts at a higher basis and then for every five million above that the rate got higher so you're looking at 225 per dollar 275 per dollar as the salaries kept going up and up and up so you look at a team like Brooklyn a few years ago where they were just going for it all throwing money at, at anybody who would take it and they were they were just paying huge amounts of tax in there just because of that progressive tax the other thing that they did was that they made the system more restrictive You got a smaller mid-level exception if you were above that tax threshold. You couldn't receive a player in a sign-and-trade agreement. You could take back less in trade. So they're throttling back the system for those guys. And what they did for that was to put in another threshold in that's even higher than the the tax threshold that they called the apron. And those system changes didn't start happening until you not only crossed the the tax threshold, but you also crossed the apron above that. And in the new agreement, they left everything pretty much the same way it was. The only thing that they did was they changed where that apron kicks in. It used to be at $4 million. Now it's at $6 million. And they're making it stay proportional to the, to the size of the system. So as the cap keeps going up, the, the amount that the apron is above that will keep going up as
0: well. Okay, great. Well, that, that gets a little bit confusing. Uh, I do want to try, I, I, the, the, thing of a, the notion of a cap hold came up, and I think, uh, let me try and explain that one, because I think I figured this one out. A cap hold is when, uh, in the summer, when you want to sign players or deal with them, anybody that had been on your team before that or for the previous year, unless they're signed by you or somebody else, their salary is, has to be counted toward the salary cap before you can make any moves. Is that anywhere close to being what it means? Yeah, that's not bad.
1: Um, the, the cap holds are the flip side to the bird rights. Bird rights say that you have the right to sign your guy above the cap. The cap hold says, okay, but we're going to assume that you are going to sign your guy above the cap. So what we're going to keep you from doing is going out, spending all your money on another team's free agent, and then coming back and using bird rights to sign your own guy. They, they want it to be... You can do what you're going to do if you sign your guy first and then go out and sign another team's free agent or if you sign another team's free agent first. You're not going to be able to spend up to the cap and then turn your attention to your exceptions. So the cap hold is just a placeholder for the amount of salary that you are expected to be spending on your own guy with bird rights. So they just – do a blanket percentage raise, depending on what kind of free agent it is. It could be, depending on the player, it could be 150% or 200% or 250%. And that money's gonna count against the team's cap and reduce their amount of cap room. So a team could do a couple of things. They could sign their own guy, in which case, you know, the capital goes away, but it's replaced by his actual salary. The guy could go sign somewhere else, in which case the cap capital comes out because you're no longer able to sign him. Or the other thing you can do is say, declare, hey, I'm not going to re-sign my guy. I know I have the rights to. That's not in our plans. I want the cap room instead, and that's what renouncing is. You renounce your bird rights to the guy, which frees up that cap room.
0: Okay, that, that makes a lot of sense, and uh, it probably only applies to, like, minimum salary guys, right, because you're certainly going to most likely sign a star that you already have, right? Well, if,
1: if you have a guy who's, let's say he's an older veteran and he's coming off of a big salary, but he's declining. His capital is going to be pretty big and maybe you're moving in another direction. Maybe you're getting younger. Maybe you're doing, you know, you have the opportunity to sign a superstar, except you've got to clear out some room in order to, to make room for, to have enough money to sign the guy. Those are the cases because those guys might take up a lot of cap room where you're more likely to use it. The minimum salary guys, not so much because if you renounce a minimum salary guy and you've, you empty up a roster spot, well, there's a cap hold for empty roster spots too. And it's with the same concept. You got to get up to a minimum number of guys. So empty roster spots mean you have spending to do. So we're going to set aside money for that spending you've got to do.
0: Okay, well, that all makes sense. And uh, last question I have for you um, is, are, with the current structure the way it is now, uh, are we is this going to prevent us from seeing sort of blockbuster midseason trades? I think that, well, when
1: you see those blockbuster midseason trades, there's a couple of reasons that they happen, right? And one of the big ones is that the team knows they're going to lose the guy and they want to get something for him before he's gone. You know, the... There's many situations, Dwight Howard, James Harden, a lot of other guys who got traded, where... It's just to cut your losses because you know the guy's leaving. One of the things that they did in the new agreement was make it so that teams have a greater ability to retain their own talent. If you want to stop a superstar team like the Warriors from being built in the future, you can do it a couple of ways, right? You can you can further restrict movement or you can further encourage keep it, make, letting a guy stay. And what's the best way to keep a guy from leaving in free agency? Don't let it become a free agent in the first place, which means that they make extensions a lot more viable. And that's what happened in the new agreement. I think that you're going to see extensions become a a much more attractive tool to players, Um, you know, like that designated veteran extension Uh, certainly other teams can't touch that one. No other team's going to be able to go up to a 35% max. So you're going to see a lot more players just for all the money that the team can throw at them. You're going to see a lot more guys staying. And if that happens, you're going to see a lot fewer of those blockbusters.
0: Well, uh, this was a blockbuster interview. Uh, Broke down a lot of interesting stuff. And I think we got a little bit closer of a handle on what's going on. So, uh, Larry, I can't thank you for jumping on in a nice uh, early Sunday morning. Cool L.A. morning. Uh, to talk a little bit about this stuff and uh, just give us a real quick overview of your sports business classroom because I think it's an interesting thing and people would want to hear about it.
1: Oh, absolutely. We, we run this in conjunction with the NBA Summer League. We run it at the NBA Summer League. So it is a six-day intensive program for students who want to get into the business of basketball. I'm the general manager for this. I run it in conjunction with the guys who run the Summer League, Warren Legary and Albert Hall. and. I arrange this like a college. In a college you have your general education. You get a little bit of everything and you have you pick a major and you go in and get a deep dive into something. Well, here we do the same thing. I have majors for the business of basketball, you know, the salary cap, for broadcast, for scouting video and analytics, and also for social and branding. And Students come in, they pick one, that major, they they deep dive into that. But students also get a little bit of everything. They get all of those subjects, plus stuff on finding jobs. How do you do resumes? How do you network? How do you do elevator pitches? How do you build your own brand? And then, you know, for the deep dive the broadcast people are interning with TNT or somebody like uh, whoever's there. The um, scouting video on analytics people are doing that work. They're sitting with the scouts. They're they're working directly with them. The broadcast people are building the brands for players in the NBA Summer League. The CBA people are listening to me drone on in great detail, so they're getting the short end of that stick. And we're also bringing in tons of talent. Part of this is being able to um expose the 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 students to the players who are actually in the league for those networking opportunities and teach them how to network with these guys build those relationships but also hear their stories so this past year we got adam silver we got you know three high-end coaches and rick carlisle and scotty brooks um and uh, um now i can't even think of the, who the third one was sorry uh, we got masai ujiri and we got tommy shepherd and we got Kirk Goldsberry, we got Daryl Morey in, you know, at our analytics track, we had Kirk Goldsberry and Daryl Morey teaching the general education sections of it. You know, what could be better than that? Uh, we, you know, we had the people who were uh, running the, the social brands for teams and they're teaching the team people. So it's a great opportunity. Now that we have an agreement in place, we're going to be holding it this year. Go to sportsbusinessclassroom.com and we don't have the information up yet on the 2017 program, but it's going to be up in the next couple of weeks.
0: All right. Well, that sounds fantastic. And, uh, Larry, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Anytime, Nick. And don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel. We're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Larry? Well, now that I know that you coach basketball,
1: I guess I'm in.